0: I'm Casey Candela. And I'm Stephanie Filion.
1: And welcome to Unscripted. Today, with our colleagues from the UN Press Corps, we tell you who and what to watch at the UN General Assembly. And we talk with Barbara Crosette, a former New York Times correspondent overseas and at the UN, about key moments she witnessed at UNGA years past. This is the fourth episode of Unscripted, a podcast taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats and the reporters covering them. New York City is international, but it gets even more international every September when global leaders, diplomats, and journalists gather at the United Nations in East Midtown to address the biggest issues of our time and throw good parties to rub elbows and get good press.
0: The 74th session of the UN General Assembly started Tuesday. As always, it will be presided over by Secretary General Antonio Guterres, whose top priority is the climate summit. But there's so much going on during ANGA
1: that it's hard to know what to pay attention to. But the people who know best what to look for are right here at headquarters, the journalists like us in the UN press corps. Stephanie, you asked a couple of them what they're expecting. Who did you end up chatting with? I
0: spoke with journalists from all over the world. Valeria Rubeco reports for ANSA, Italy's largest news agency. Maria Harianova is with TASS, a news agency owned by the Russian government. I also chatted with Arthur McMillan, who writes for the Emirati paper The National, Sharon Bryce-Peace from South Africa's SABC News, and Kerry Yoshida, a reporter for Nikkei, a business publication
1: in Japan. One of the most watched parts of UNGA is the heads of state who come to town for the high-level meeting starting on September 24th. Stephanie, you authored one of the most comprehensive lists to date. Who are the big names on the list and who are the notable absentees? Of course, this list can change until the last
0: minute, as politics and the state of the world remains unpredictable. But from what we know, the high-level meeting will open up with speeches from three high-profile and outspoken strongmen. U.S. President Trump, Brazil's
1: President Bolsonaro and Egypt's President LCC. So President Trump hardly needs an introduction, but according to Secretary of State Pompeo, the US will focus on North Korea, Iran, and China. Right, and Trump is predictably
0: unpredictable. It looks unlikely that he and Iranian President
1: Rouhani will meet, but you never know. But before we hear from Trump in the GA chamber, the very first speaker will be Brazilian President Bolsonaro. Fun fact, Brazil always speaks first at the GA. It's because no one else would volunteer, and they stepped up enough times that now it's a tradition.
0: People will be watching to see what Bolsonaro says about climate change and the fires in the Amazon. And Brazilian media reported that he has gotten advice for his speech from Steve Bannon, a former high-profile campaign strategist for Trump. If that's true, the speech should be interesting.
1: Right, and UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson will also be attending, but Canada's Justin Trudeau is not. France's Emmanuel Macron will be here, and it looks like German Chancellor Angela Merkel is coming to New York, but only for the climate summit. She'll stick around until Wednesday, but will probably not speak at the high-level meeting, which is a very interesting decision considering it's probably her last unga. And
0: Indian Prime Minister Modi will be here, as well as Prime Minister Khan of Pakistan, They probably won't meet, but Kashmir will be a pretty big topic of discussion. On Venezuela, there are rumors that opposition leader Juan Guaido is trying to get access to the UN to take part in some events, while Nicolas Maduro,
1: Venezuela's president, is sending two envoys to denounce sanctions. Some other notable absentees are Saudi Arabia's Mohammed bin Salman and China's Xi Jinping. Stephanie, what global leaders are the other journalists watching? At the time we
0: spoke... Everyone was wondering whether Trump and Rouhani would meet. Iran will be on top of breaking news. Everyone is asking, you know, if there is a chance still of a meeting between President Trump and President Rouhani, or if there can be, you know, some meeting even a lower level, to trying to open a diplomatic channel between the two countries.
2: During the high-level week, the most closely watched engagement is likely to happen between Donald Trump and the Iranian president, Hassan Rouhani. While there are no diplomatic relations between Iran and the United States, the president, Donald Trump, has appeared open to the possibility of talking to Iran. At the same time, there have been a number of sanctions placed on Iranian entities and individuals by the US administration's State Department So it has been a very confusing picture in the run-up to the General Assembly over what the United States policy is on Iran. On the one hand, the president is talking about talking to the Iranian president, Hassan Rouhani, at the same time as the State Department has been sanctioning key members of the Iranian regime.
1: That last voice you heard is Arthur McMillan. He writes for an Emirati newspaper, but is originally from Scotland. He was a correspondent in Iran for many years, and he understands the nuances.
2: The backdrop to this is that Europe has been pushing for dialogue between Iran and the United States. Most notably, the French president, Emmanuel Macron, has been trying to broker some kind of discussion between the Iranian and American presidents during the General Assembly. Again, I think it would be highly unlikely for there to be a meeting between the two presidents, but there may be some method of sending a signal that there could be a different nuclear deal in the months that follow the General Assembly, because at the moment the nuclear deal is collapsing, the Iranian regime are starting not to comply with obligations under the nuclear deal while they are being sanctioned. That's not something that Europe can tolerate in the long term, which is why they're seeking some kind of middle ground and maybe a new nuclear deal. At the same time, Iran feels under little obligation to comply because as far as they see it, there was a deal agreed in 2015 to which every party remains signed up other than the United States who left that deal unilaterally. And as far as Iran is concerned, they believe that They did not renege on any commitments. Only the United States reneged on the commitments. Therefore, Iran has suffered, and they don't see why they should have to renegotiate a deal that they did not break in the first place.
1: But things have changed since Arthur spoke to us. Iran said they will not meet President Trump. And the
0: press corps is also disappointed that some of their big names aren't coming.
3: So I definitely can't offer you our president he's not coming unfortunately but our charming foreign minister sergey lavrov will be definitely here he will lead our delegation the ukrainian new president will be here for the first time so it's really interesting for me personally, if they're going to meet, if they at least are going to say hi to each other, or maybe they will have like a longer meeting.
4: We also are very disappointed to hear that Kim Jong-un will not be coming and neither will his foreign minister, so there's some uh, sulky faces in the press corps.
3: North Korea will be represented on quite a low level, the foreign minister is not coming, but. Anyway, I'm quite sure Lavrov is going to mention this topic because last year it was one of his main topics.
1: Here's Sherwin Bryce-Peace from South Africa's SABC News.
4: Ethiopia, Ethiopia's prime minister, is, is changing the, the dynamics in East Africa, particularly as it relates to peace with Eritrea. You have the new president of the Democratic Republic of Congo, Chisikedi, coming for the first time.
0: But journalists aren't just watching global leaders other figures could stand out. Greta, of course, I think uh, everyone uh, will uh, listen to her. We, we watch, uh, not, not only here at the UN, because there are the two protests outside the UN.
1: Interesting celebrities
0: come to the UN. I missed her last year, but Kristen Bell, do you know her? She was in The Good Place, a lot of other comedies. She was at some event at the, the UN last year. I would love to see any more celebrities. Hashtag celebrity watch.
1: (laughs) And human rights lawyer Amal Clooney will also be coming. Stephanie, what about those global leaders who said maybe?
0: Well, Israel just had an election. So at production time, it's unclear whether Netanyahu
1: will still be prime minister during GA. If you are listening carefully, you might have noticed that's a lot of men. It turns out only about 10% of the global leaders speaking are women. But before the rounds of speeches begin on
0: the 24th, there will be a climate action summit on September 23rd. Secretary General Antonio Guterres is hosting. He told heads of states, don't bring a speech, bring a plan.
1: But he doesn't have the backing of the United States on that, and Maria Haryanova of Russia's TASS told us she's expecting some tension
3: between Russia and Guterres. Uh, Definitely they will meet with uh, SG, Mr. Guterres, I see um, uh, a little bit of tension between Guterres and uh, Russia after his announcement about investigation in uh, Idlib, Syria. So it will be interesting for me. Still, climate change is going to be a huge topic
0: this year. Here in New York, there will be a strike before the summit that many people, including students, are expected to take part in. Here's what Sherwin had to say about climate change.
4: Given uh, what we've seen in Southern Africa, what we're seeing currently in the Caribbean and uh, coming up the East Coast. Climate change is very much part of the discussions that will happen here. The, the Secretary General uh, is, uh, has invited world leaders to attend his Climate Change Summit, and I think from a developing perspective from smaller countries, this is front and center for small nations. If you look at the devastation that uh, Cyclones Idai and others wrecked in Southern Africa, Mozambique, some of the poorest countries in the world, I think you're going to see, from certainly from an African perspective, climate change being uh, very much front and center here.
1: And one question Arthur's watching is how the climate summit will affect Guterres' legacy.
2: The climate summit is very important for the UN secretary general, Antonio Guterres, because in many ways, it's the one thing that was in place before he became secretary general two and a half years ago that remains a dominant theme for the UN. Since the Trump administration came in, they have left the climate agreement signed in Paris several years ago So in a way that is similar to the Iran nuclear deal, Mr. Guterres is trying to safeguard and effectively a a UN-brokered deal on the climate at the same time as the United States is no longer signed up to it. For Mr. Guterres, this is really a, a very important issue because his tenure so far as Secretary General has been defined by a growing number of international crises in which the United Nations has not exactly had a success rate that he could be proud of. Climate is one issue he really wants to maintain momentum on. If Mr Guterres cannot maintain unity on the climate deal, he may end up becoming a Secretary General who leaves his post with little achievement and he may leave his post having lost the achievement of his predecessor.
0: But at the end of the day, we really can't predict what is going to make headlines.
3: Usually the focus uh, is on uh, some bilateral meetings, but something happens like last year it was uh, New Zealand prime minister who brought her baby and all the focus is uh, on a different subject. It's uh, difficult to predict. (laughs)
1: Now let's take a step back and look at some highlights of past General Assemblies. Barbara Crosette is our senior consulting editor and a writer here at PassBlue. But before that, she covered South and Southeast Asia and the United Nations for The New York Times. Barbara, welcome. Uh, So, Barbara, what was your strategy for the General Assembly? What meetings, what interviews did you prioritize? Because it it seems totally impossible to go to everything as one single person.
5: It it does. It's impossible. The the UN doesn't have a single story every day. It has 193 stories or at least 50 stories. And bearing in mind that every country comes with a team of people who often freeze out locally-based, I mean, UN-based correspondence. after a year or so, I decided the thing that was most interesting is to seek out some of the presidents or heads of government ministers from countries that I wouldn't normally maybe go to, but who had been in or out of the news. One of them was the president of Rwanda, and it was a very good session because his PR people were so eager to have somebody interview him. This is before he got into trouble on human rights and things. And some of the others, I met Lee Kuan Yew twice here, but I had interviewed him, of course, when I was in Southeast Asia. And uh, General Musharraf um, I talked to here. I had never talked to him face to face. And so for me, those were tremendously useful to get the sense of the person and to get their ideas on the, the region or their own countries. And that was very useful. So you mentioned
1: earlier that the Rwanda press officer, for instance, was very eager um, to get his head of state interviewed, particularly with you. You know, you were at The New York Times, very um, well-known international publication. Why would, you know, maybe smaller or lesser-known countries seek out American or foreign press at the General Assembly? Why not just cater to their own country's press that, you know, is at the uh, United Nations just for that week?
5: They do that, too. But, you know, they're here to have uh, some of the big powers are going to deal with issues that involve them. So any kind of uh, publication that will talk to them, and because it was the New York Times, I mean, I I know that's why a lot of people uh, were interested in having their leaders get exposure in front of all these powers. Uh, And the idea being that it was public relations within the country, and it was public relations in a way within the GA, so the people knew they were there and what they were thinking. So during the General Assembly, every country
1: uh, gets to give a speech before you know, the big chamber, and it's streamed and televised, and people are paying attention, looking for trends. Um, during your time at the UN, are there any speeches that really stand out, maybe ones that were really
5: long or really short or really outrageous? By the time I got there, they had tamed some of these people who were way off the mark in the length of time and speeches. Rosali Ismail, who's a Malaysian G.A. president, and he put traffic lights on the lectern, little ones, red, yellow, and green. And so the idea was that they could turn them on to yellow and then to red, when someone had overstepped his or her time. It didn't work, and I don't think it lasted very long. I did look up who spoke the longest, and it was V.K. Krishnaman, and that was in 1957. Chairman of the Delegation of India. (laughs) Mr. President, Mr. Secretary General, and fellow delegates. And he spoke for seven hours and 48 minutes, but he collapsed after five hours literally, and he had to be taken away to a hospital to be revived. And he was brought back and he spoke for another two hours and 48 minutes. So during
1: that week or two in September where the General Assembly's in town and, you know, east midtown completely shuts down, really, it feels like everyone who's anyone in global diplomacy is at the United Nations. But some people aren't. Some people don't come to New York for whatever reason. Are there any heads of state that you recall, or any you know, just notable absences of people who just wanted to stay away from the General Assembly?
5: Oh, there there are quite a few. Uh, I think every year, uh, every year, everyone uh, scours those lists very carefully to see whether anyone is also backing out. Uh, and if there's a, a crisis that erupts somewhere, does this change the roster? And you know, if you change the roster. Uh, the highest ranking persons would speak first, and it's the minister. He gets pushed down a bit farther on the list, so it it disturbs the attention that they get. Uh, The most famous one uh, I heard from a secretary general was Hosni Mubarak. Uh, He was just afraid to come to New York. I did spend time with his wife, and we we talked about uh, some of the things that she'd been doing for women in Egypt, and so... They must have been in town somewhere, I don't know where, but he, he would never come to the U.N., no matter how much people told him how safe it would be.
1: Do you think it was a, a physical security reason or awareness to engage or be held accountable or ask questions? You know, why, why stay away? You know, everyone else is here. Some
5: of these heads of state are extremely, extremely frightened of public displays because they don't allow them where they live. And so when they see people marching up and down on First Avenue or in Doghammer Shore Plaza, to them it's disturbing. Sometimes some of these demonstrations are actually over the top. I mean, they don't they're so fixed. They're more fixed in many ways in their opposition than the head of government was in what he thought he was doing right. So it's a tense time for people. And if they're not used to a democratic system where there can be people marching around the, the presidential palace or whatever, they they just uh, freeze and take fright.
1: Barbara, thank you so much.
5: This episode was produced by me,
1: Casey Candela, with help from Brianna Lyman and reported by Stephanie Filion for Past Blue, an independent, women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Dulcie Leimbach is our editor, AI Digital created our podcast logo, and our music is by Poddington Bear. A lot happens at the UN beyond what we report in each
0: episode of Unscripted. And PassBlue is covering the important news, from women's rights to human rights to the Trump effect on the UN. For day-to-day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And to subscribe to our newsletter,
1: go to PassBlue.com. Past Blue's in-depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the New School, and listeners like you. To show your support, visit Past Blue's website and click donate. Unscripted is available wherever you find podcasts.
0: If you like today's show, please rate us on iTunes and share with all your friends.